Hi, my name is Nicola Thomas and you're listening to the Sniff Perfume Podcast. Today we're going to talk a little about layering fragrance. It's not a new concept. Layering two or more scents has been around for a while now, but it's a way of customising your fragrance so it smells more personal to you. Some people do this with random scents they own which go together in a way that they like, whilst others turn to brands which specialise in putting fragrance in pairs or groups to make navigating what to layer that little bit easier. Our guest today joins us from one such brand, a new brand in fact. Contradictions in Ilk have only been around since 2020, when they launched with eight scents arranged in pairs. But let's not get too deep into that now. Instead, let's meet Annabella Fasano-Leslie, founder of Contradictions in Ilk. Hi Bella, thanks so much for joining us. Hello, thank you. That's quite a mouthful to hear my name. It's still sort of new to me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I probably could have shortened that a bit, especially. Um, uh, but, you know, nice to hear it. Thank you for having me. So let's start right at the beginning. Where and when did your love of perfumes begin? Ooh, well, it's sort of, I, I hate admitting this because it feels like um, it's a bit of a stereotype. but. It certainly did help that my mother was obsessed, um, but she was obsessed, I think, for a different reason. She she grew up in Rio, and uh, to get hold of perfumes in Rio was gold dust. So her mum kept every perfume basically in a locked cupboard, and so she was fascinated by these these beautiful things. And um, and in fact, my mum always when she sort of the way she used perfume was that if she was feeling, you know, like she was missing the Rio sun um, or was feeling like she needed a little bit of a mood boost or, or anything like that, she would choose a specific fragrance that took her there. And um, that sort of, as you can see, is perhaps the, the, the glimmering beginning of uh, the inspiration behind these scents, which are inspired by our moods and our emotions and our characteristics. Um, but yeah, that's where it first began because I used to admire the fact that she would, she would sort of change her outlook on things with her fragrance. Mm. That was quite, quite, uh, quite nice. And I started doing it myself and, um, you know, matching my fragrances to even my outfit, for example, mm. uh, you know, going to wear a pay because I guess when I was younger that was my way of expressing myself what what you wear especially when you go to school and there's a uh, you know the whole uniform system and stuff like that and when you get to wear your own clothes uh you know I know paisley print with a, a beautiful patchouli or um a space uh t-shirt with a kind of minimalist uh sort of salty scent those kind of things um but yeah let's go that's a long answer but let's go with mother <laughs> yeah and you had a very successful career in advertising before starting your own brand so at what point did you think I need to do this like I need to kind of have mm. have my own launch mm. it's, well so I guess um funny enough I I was as you say I, I've always been obsessed with uh people um, and I studied psychology at school and later at university. And then at that point, I thought, oh, gosh, you know, what, what, what am I going to do? OK, but how can I be involved with people? I'll, I'll, I'll go into advertising. <laughs> I'll sell things to people. Um, but, but mainly from an interest that uh, when you do, when you are in advertising, there's a lot of strategy and sort of getting to understand the business and the product and, and the customer. So I thought that was quite interesting. Um, but, you know, 
yes, I got to work with incredible global clients and amazing creative talents. And I love that. And the people were amazing. But but I sort of had an epiphany. You know, it does it does um, grind on you when you are spending sort of 12 hours on a bad day um, just selling other people's brands. And there is a point where it kind of becomes a bit hollow and you think, God, if I'm willing to put this much work in into someone else's brand, maybe I should think about doing my own. Um, and, you know, there's all the usual things that you talk about. I'm sure you, 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 you know this too. Oh, no, no, the logo has to be right at the beginning. It has to be huge. Ripping away the creative idea, ripping away all the insights. Um, you know, it's a win if any of those things remain. And I thought, God, no, I just, I really would love to sort of put into practice what I preach as well um, and, and just see it. And, and actually the epiphany happened one rainy Tuesday evening sitting at the English National Opera House, uh, which was a birthday present. Um, and I realised that my job was affecting me so badly that I could sit through an, an entire performance of La Bohème with just staring to space, counting the spotlights, totally unmoved. And, you know, I, I, I've been known to cry seeing an elderly person in the cafe all their own, you know, and I'm just sitting there numb. And I thought, OK, um, I need to embrace my fear, channel my energy enthusiasm and instead of look for the dream job, make the dream job. So, uh, yeah, we got in a cab and I literally uh, we left. because I thought, no, this is disrespectful to the art. Um, and um, I sort of Googled all the way home how to find a job in perfumery. So how to start a perfume brand. Um, but I was lucky that I didn't have to rely on Google to do that. Um, I actually sort of did lots of research, went to enthusiast events and training weekends held by the British Society of Perfumery, which was amazing. Um, and the, the fabulous founders of 4160 Tuesdays do some good courses. I don't know if you listen to them and hung out in the perfume department. So I make it sound like it happened straight away. It, it, it didn't. It was sort of something that had been bubbling for a few years. And then at that moment in time when I thought, I can't do this anymore. I need, I need to make this happen. I was actually just Googling and I found that someone called Holly um, had just launched her own niche luxury perfume line memoirs London. I thought, okay, here's a gal in London, same age as me. She's done it. Um, let's see if she would give me um, a little bit of tips, a bit of, uh, you know, info on, on, on how it is. I can't imagine it was easy. And um, I basically ended up, well, we, turned out we live 20 minutes away from each other which as as uh, many people who live in London know that's basically neighbours um and um I ended up sharing my idea with her within about 10 minutes which you know many people would say that's the the most unwise thing to do to a stranger but it turned out to be the best mistake I ever made because a couple of Aperol scripts and a few other meetings later and we decided to make it happen together Amazing. Yeah. If you had to describe Contradictions in Ilk to somebody who hasn't heard of you yet what would you say? What would you say sets you apart from other brands? Mm. Well, I would say that for us, the inspiration is you, and the um, we really do exist as a perfume collection to try and give people a means of of centered self expression, um, and that to do so, we've selected you know eight. Um, contradictory so they're in pairs but but hopefully very relatable uh, moods and characteristics um, that just give you a fun way to engage in fragrances that that hopefully feels a bit more personal there's nothing more confusing I think than 
going, you know, seeing a brand of a, and you like the bottles or you like whatever it is that appeals to you, but there's about 20 fragrances there. And you think, well, okay, I'm a bit awkward in this shop. I don't want to knock everything over. Which one do I pick up first? What, how am I supposed to know what it means? What, how am I supposed to know what it smells? And I think I really wanted to have something that had a name that, you know, at least from the name could, could would appeal to certain people. Um, I'm sick of all those, obviously not in the niche uh, world so much, but you know, in, in uh, mainstream perfume, I don't know, life is beautiful or it's up to you or, you know, central sugar kisses. I mean, no, (laughs) no, I was sick of that crap. (laughs) So um, yeah, hopefully uh, it would be about appealing to, to, to the individual and helping them find a means to express themselves as scent. And you launched at a time which was incredibly turbulent. You were in the Mm. earlier stages of the pandemic. Brexit was happening all around us. How did that context shape or affect your business and what did it teach you? Yes, good question. So, I mean, it was it was incredibly bizarre time to launch. That is for sure. Um, And I think that if. In some ways, it worked to our advantage. In other ways, it brought about challenges that we weren't expecting. For example, you know, we were hoping to launch an Essex Sans and right there, bam, people from the industry all around the world, one place to chat to. I know you you, you know Essex Sans well, don't you? Um, and instead, sort of four months later, we had to do what felt like a comparatively paltry online launch which you know as, as, as you know being in marketing is pretty damn hard to actually find an audience out there who gives a damn <laughs> just from online and and um but but also in that sense we're really lucky because people were were online people were looking for news people were so lovely and encouraging um and but but yeah it definitely meant that we had to launch and re figure our activity to um yeah have an online presence and to somehow uh you know drive awareness and trust uh which we all know is incredibly difficult uh when you're buying something that you can't describe online but but yeah but I would say from a Brexit point of view that okay whilst we were lucky that you know we had a at least two months, <laughs> two months clear run before Brexit. Um, but, you know, obviously people were getting ready for it. But I think because of the fact that none of us actually knew what the hell was going to happen, brands, retailers, customers, we're all in one one sort of squeaky wet boat together, really, weren't we? And um, we all just dealt with it. And in, and in a funny way, I mean, it's, it's not nice uh, to say, but obviously shipping internationally, sort of to customers and businesses has made it is a lot more difficult now and unfortunately as we know brands have pulled out of coming to Britain and and brands have pulled out of going into Europe at least temporarily and because um we we sort of have a great um just sort of logistics team and um Holly's got you know experience from her past when she worked for other brands um you know we were able to be quite responsive so in some ways yes bizarre time but you know personally for myself 
I didn't know any difference. Mm. <laughs> it was just kind of like crack on, give it a go. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's, it's been great. We're, we're in. Um, so in a year, we're in over seven countries and over thirty retailers. So That's it feels brilliant. like it's um yeah we we considering we're feeling pretty pretty happy about it yeah that's excellent congratulations thank you um is you know do you think the niche fragrance market is becoming saturated or is there always going to be space for innovative new brands do you think Mm, good question um in a funny way having spent the last sort of two years mainly thinking about my our brand um I would say that I haven't so let's put it this way I've noticed and I appreciate both from a customer and from a sort of let's say competitive point of view that when there is newness the bar is certainly a lot higher than than I would say even four years ago um of what we all expect and what we need and and the opportunities to create something different but to be honest that can only make it better experience for everyone right um there can uh, and i think that whilst it might have sort of sorted the wheat from the chaff of, of some of the things the, the people with passion and and great ideas and finesse um will continue to succeed and and hopefully it means that there's a space out there for other people to feel like they can they can have a piece of that and and share share some some special creations that I think we all we all need change don't we and, and now more than ever I think us as a society just expect change on an almost constant basis uh monthly really mm. um but yeah what do you what, what, what do you think I think you're right I think people do always want newness but I think it's also really nice to cultivate a relationship with a brand and to mm. uh, anticipate their next release with excitement. Um, yes. So I quite like it when brands do that slowly and thoughtfully so that they're not just rushing something out for the sake of it. They're waiting uh-huh. until the product's right. Um, yes. So yeah, that's kind of how I think about it. I love to hear you say that, both because that's exactly what I'm doing, and it's not until next March that we have some new products, but I um, totally agree with you. What I mean, also, it's quite interesting seeing behind the scenes, uh, you know, uh, that as a creative director, you know, we all know that there's creative directors who also make the sense themselves, and there's creative directors who work with perfumers to help turn their vision into reality, and I'm the, I'm, I'm the latter. And been so lucky to work with some incredible perfumers um and there's nothing more disappointing I think than when when you know that 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 sort of relationship between the perfume and creative director has been little more than like you know a quick have a dig in your archive just something something that works and I think that's where the story the story of the scent it has to live in every way from from what you from the first look to the last smell in your skin nine hours later, there has to be something that evolves in that fragrance that, that makes sense. And that's what I hate. I hate the idea also of marketing for marketing's sake, slapping a story on the end of a perfume. It, it's upsetting. Mm. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And I think, you know, I don't know. I, I'm sure many people, I don't think you really get away with it anymore. Mm. Really. Um, everyone's too, too savvy 
too wise. They don't want to just buy into some. You might as, you might as well go and spend forty pounds in boots if you, if if you're happy, you know, yeah. with, with that. Yeah. yeah. Um. So on to layering. You know, it, oh. it is a little bit of a controversial topic. Um, some people go crazy for it. Others yeah. think it's just marketing and it's a, you know, it's a way to get us to buy more bottles from one brand. You yeah. know, what, what would you say to those people and how do you kind of um, position the layering aspect of your brand? Such a good question, because I know I know that you've sort of asked um, a couple of your, of your followers uh, that very same question. And. I'm sort of almost embarrassed <laughs> that someone in, in marketing and as a brand owner, I didn't even consciously realise that that's what people would think, which is so naive <laughs> when I say it and I think about it. How stupid. I think um, subconsciously I did. And um, that's why when we sell our layerable scents, we actually only sell them together as um, little travel perfumes, as, as little 7.5 mils, so that people can try and enjoy it for less than 60 pounds. Because, because absolutely, you know, I might I might be a niche obsessive just like the last person and, and actually have a brand, but it takes a lot for me to part with my money with a fragrance. Um, and I by no means wanted to assume that people would necessarily do that more what I hoped is that someone would find a fragrance it's also, also they're 50 mils you know I, I found that also sort of talking to a lot of people over the last 10 years you know really always thinking about brands and products asking lots of questions and you know there is a lot of people oh how do you buy perfumes I don't know I just get I just get like a big bottle for my birthday or oh I just get a big thing at Christmas oh I'm so bloody bored of it by the end though it takes me a year to get through it and um, and then I'm sort of just on to the next. And I thought, gosh, I mean, that's, you know, that's really contradictory, the idea that quite a lot of people out there also like to have a signature scent. And I thought, well, there should be an opportunity to love and adore a fragrance and make that a signature, but with a tryst, not to get fatigued, not to feel like you wake up in the morning. This also happened a lot when I talked to people. They'd put perfume on in the morning and they'd watch me putting it on before we left work to go out together. They'd be like, oh, you carry you've got your perfume. And I was like, okay, yeah. Uh, oh, uh, my bottle's so big. I don't, I don't really bother bringing it with me, but also, and I'm like, oh, do you want to borrow some mine? Like, oh no, no, I couldn't, I couldn't mix the perfumes. No, no, no. And I'm sort of thinking you can't really smell it anymore, but also you can, you can. <laughs> so ag again, that was why I really wanted to make sure that it wasn't just a ploy. It was these small sizes that meant you can. And if you love something, if you adore it, maybe you get one of the contradictories uh, you know you get your contradictory smells you get yourself and then when there's a special occasion or a gift you you get the second one four months later five months later and then they can live together so yeah for me fragrance layering was because I really believe there's a power in perfume to alter or communicate your mood to reflect your environment and to even change your behaviors you know if, if and and I think that all boils down to one thing, which is the individual. And we are not one thing or another. We are multidimensional. So our personalities and emotions, our moods and our environments. So why can't these fragrances be adaptable to do that? Um, and, and I felt like nothing was out there sort of talking about the power of that and offering that. And, and that was something that I was really passionate to do. And in order to do that, it had to be layerable. 
um, to be authentic to the idea of self-expression and of, of, of your true sort of nuanced self. Mm. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's why. That's yeah. Me. yeah. And, and going back to the, the stories, you know, the scent, the scent sort of concepts, I'm going to read you a little bit of an excerpt now from one of your fragrance descriptions. So this is from Liberty. Mm-hmm. Um, so this scent story is set in a palazzo in Venice, home to Casanova, the most famous libertine of all time. Lacking in moral principles, a sense of responsibility or sexual restraint, dare you be in his presence. You can smell his favourite tipple, the bitter almond, orange flower and brandy, tickle your lips and nose, as well as other senses. There's an intoxicating smell of gunpowder from the duelling pistols, wistfully intermingling with the beeswax candles. With one hand, you might pass him a single rose. With the other, remove your mask and dash it into the canal below. Now, that's quite racy, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) I'm always fascinated by how people come up with the briefs for their scents. So dare I ask, you know, how do you come up with them for Ilk and where did Casanova come from? Well, it was so much fun. It was so, it was the best part of it. Um, it it it's involved a lot of sitting in the British Library. Um, to to be honest, everything's online, but it just felt like that there was a sense of history and things to be discovered and um, and ideas. Um, so yeah, so I think with our collection, it meant that we needed to start with the moods and characteristics. So libertine as you said and virtuous fantasist and realist devious sincere uh, infatuated and nonchalant so it actually took a really long time to get to contradictions that wasn't basically like good dreadful good <laughs> dreadful <laughs> because i was like mm, no one's going to want to really associate with i don't know being uh, i mean there's so many things um so that took a while but really once once had got to that point for me as well I think this being the first time I didn't really have anything to compare to how other people set about creating the, the sense brief and, and and the notes that they want embodied so it was going on a journey to find either a character or a setting that embodied the essence of that mood or characteristic so, for example, with Libertine, um, you know, we know that Casanova over centuries has somehow managed to be the greatest Libertine of all time. And 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 I think that there was so much. I, I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I did buy his life story <laughs> and I tried to read all of it, but it's pretty big. Um, but there was so much out there to inspire. And yes, uh, you know. Um, there's also also it was wonderful uh, the perfumer we worked with for that Olivia Yan she also added a couple of other nuances to it so so I wrote the story first and and I sort of cooked with my imagination you know right so you've got orange you've got almond I'd found that his favorite uh, drink was cordial orange at which is brandy and orange and almond um, and and with that uh, I sort of I looked into the meaning of rose and rose at that time was had many different meanings, but obviously that would smell lovely with it. And then I thought about the environment and how the rooms were lit with beeswax candles because those were the most expensive that you could buy. And I thought, well, Casanova's not going to scrimp on a candle, is he? <laughs> so so then I thought, OK, that's lovely. That sort of waxy um 
that you know beeswax almost smells a little bit like honey and an orange blossom anyway and so it evolved and then actually Olivia um came back um and said do you know that Casanova's sexy secret was that he used to wear leather pants dipped in rose water and I was like no (laughs) (laughs) so she so essentially we like to call this Casanova's crotch and um, and that is sort of like the linchpin of this scent um and and um, it just teams perfectly well with with, 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 I I hope you agree with, with these other sort of darker but also fruity notes and and um for me in this collection uh I wanted to make sure that there was a breadth it's a wardrobe it's a wardrobe of emotions it's it it needed to be expressed across you know a wide variety of 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 scents and I think they naturally do go across the amber the floral the the citrus the the smoky Uh, they sort of work and but I was really keen to make sure that we had a rose perfume that wasn't necessarily a familiar type of rose um and that's why I really enjoy the orange with this rose um so yeah yeah and I'm really interested you know once you've got that brief together how Mm. do you go about approaching a perfumer to make the scent for you do you have one that you always go to or do you go to one of the big companies and get get that kind of um commissioned with them how does all that work Mm. really good question so um you know, Holly, having worked um, in the past with uh, as in the production side of another brand, sort of already had relationships with perfumers and also for her scent memoirs. So, you know, we were lucky as an absolutely infant brand that I could approach her contacts and say, hey, you know, can we make something together? And we, and we actually went to a couple of houses, but we ended up working with uh, Drom. And um, and they were so wonderful. They they took the brief and they sort of paired each of the different sort of emotions and stories and notes and specialisms like uh, with different perfumers um, in the house. And 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 um, we went through the journey individually with with the perfumers. And you know we didn't want to necessarily mean that they had to work on the contradictory pairs, but more often than not, when they were you know. It, it, these are nuanced and rich fragrances. We didn't want layering fragrances to be the sort of, you know, two-dimensional scents that are easier to layer. These had to be scents in their own right because not everyone's going to care about the layering. Not everyone's going to want to do it. Have to be able to wear them on their own. Um, but funny enough, more often than not, it was the perfumers who worked on the same pair that that, that didn't apart from one exception I think in the end um but but I think going forward now as well um you know we all have different ways of doing things I think that um well we've 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 been working with a very small um perfume house actually they're based in Brighton they're the UK arm and we're working with them on our new collection and that's been a wonderful journey and I've met the perfume as many times um, and and also talking on a more one-to-one basis with perfumers who who do do out of out of perfume house fragrances as well. So just like with any service, um, like a copywriter or an artist, uh, that sort of thing. So yeah, so I think in the future a little bit of both. And also to be honest, you know, as these perfume houses, some of the big ones are gobbling up the other. It is quite hard as a small little artisan brand to get to always get their interest 
to be the ones permitted to use their latest technologies, especially with our, you know, for us, it's really important sustainability and, you know, uh, cruelty-free and all of these. And there's amazing sort of uh, things being done in that field with with these big perfume houses, but they want to save it for the people who are going to buy a lot of oil (laughs) and uh, get them a lot of coverage, and I get it. But I think more and more we're going to find ourselves um, making close relationships with with more uh, individual perfumes. Yeah. And sort of related to that, I think, is Mm -hmm. um, gendered marketing of scents. Now, um, Mm. ilk's all unisex, isn't it? Do you think it's just time for gendered marketing of fragrance to go away? Yes. (laughs) I mean, there is something inherent in the fact that perfumes seem to assume the role of tokens of your individuality. Um, And I think we, whether this is the, the basic nature of scent and and what would normally be our own pheromones and therefore that relationship with desire and sensuality and as an extension of that's, you know, your sexual orientation, stuff like that, you know, that does make perfume historically and even now, uh, yeah, uh, gendered. Um, but I think as those constructs are being broken down and there's so much uh, enjoyment to be had in unshackling ourselves in every part of society in that way, I think it's wonderful to see that fragrance is 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 doing the same in a big way. Um, and you know, I get it as well. In the West, we have such a comparatively poor lexicon of words to to describe fragrance that we we do live in a in a largely sort of visual world when it comes to understanding smell. Um, but there's absolutely no reason that, that should be gendered, I don't think. But, and also, you know, a lot of marketing assumes a sort of a heterosexual experience of it as well, um, which I find very narrow-minded. Um, but, yeah, I think there's a lot being done about that for sure. Yeah, and, I, I, you know, it's come up in the past on the podcast, but it is one of the things that really appeals about the niche sector is that mm. the kind of that sense of inclusivity a little bit more than, I think, high street stuff. And um, Totally. Yeah, so I think totally. the, more, the more we embrace that, the better. Yeah, and, you know, and I guess it is easier for niche because we, being the fact that we don't have multiple opinions in one brand and it's a reflection of the maker's own opinions and thoughts um and you know it it is sort of easier in that way to champion your your beliefs with the product um and and you're right like when you look at sort of mainstream fragrance the journey's gone from i don't know in the 1950s the idea of femininity and elegance and and women being uh the main objectives to please men to let's say you know more natural images and sensuous images of women in the 80s and then in the 80s and 90s I think now the idea of self-fulfillment through fragrance is something that we can see a lot in in mainstream fragrance like for example even if you look however at the naming I was I was having a little look um and and um you know good girl lady million libre see you guilty wanderlust you know it's all about permission and choosing your own way and freedom and lifestyle and I think it's so fascinating when you look at how something that we choose to buy to enjoy 
to reflect ourselves, to reflect our beliefs, to reflect who we are, really does just, it means it just reflects society. And it's really interesting to see the sort of the differences between different parts of society played out in what they buy as well, what kind of perfume they buy and what resonates with them. It's it's fascinating. Yeah. And we started to touch on sustainability and ethics mm. in scent. Mm-hmm. What responsibility do you think brands have to make their products as sustainable as possible? And what's your brand's take on approaching that? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think it's funny. When when setting out the brand, you know, I felt like there was an opportunity for us as small well, it was sort of contradictory. There's an opportunity as a small business to decide what practices and, and, and what you stand for as a brand and therefore that has to obviously touch everything you do and how you do it. Um, and But conversely, as a small fragrance brand, you come up against the fact that, oh no, you can't you can't just buy 500 pumps, you have to buy 10,000. <laughs> and you have to, you know, you have to fit into sort of the manufacturer as much as you try and find partners who are of the same mindset and it's very doable, it's time consuming, but it's doable, but it's really important. Um, I think that we have managed, despite the difficulties in doing so, to get our product as close as we can in the current environment and within the restrictions of all the practical things like availability and budget <laughs> as, a, as a small brand to, to hopefully do that. But it's certainly a work in progress all the time. Like for example, I'd say 95% of our or 90% of our product is either recyclable or recycled. There's just two really annoying pieces of plastic, <laughs> two, which, which honestly, sometimes I think about them. And I think, God damn. One is the transit cap, which is essentially something inside the cap to stop it leaking and spraying. And I really, if anyone out there can make me some cork transit caps, <laughs> I would be thrilled because I think that's the best alternative to plastic. You know, it's just it's a thin little thing that goes inside the cap. And then the other thing is the sprayer, that tiny little plastic, the straw that sucks up the juice. Being layerable, we can't have rollerball. And also, you know, it's hard with rollerball to be able to make it fully respectful. You have to take it out as well. So, so it's just keeping an eye out for new technology that is available and affordable for for us to take on board but we've done everything else that we can as you said you know we we are almost entirely recyclable there's hardly any plastic even our cellophane is recyclable um we manufacture and produce within 80 miles so that we can try and keep our carbon footprint drown as much as possible at the end point um and we are cruelty free uh we work with um a lovely sort of wood artisan and our caps are made as the offcuts of his furniture and our boxes are handmade in Leicester with recycled Italian paper but you know we do carbon payback on that paper as well to help reforest um, um, in a specific area in Vietnam. So it's trying to offset, accommodate and and hopefully in the next couple of years, given that we all, especially the people who care about our products and niche perfume, I think that's something that's really important and we will make sure that that we will keep refining. That's great to hear. So 
that's the end of my sensible questions. And now I've got a few sort of fun, quick fire questions for you. Okay, perfect. So you're ready? Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> What's your favourite smell? Heliotrope or belladonna. Mm. In perfume, but in real life, the smell of my dog's ears that smells like rice. <laughs> <laughs> what smells do you dislike? I hate perfume that's really pink smelling. I just personally hate that because for me it goes, mm, you're a little lady. And I just like, <laughs> so for me, pink smells upset me. Um, and that's probably it, yeah. If you could go anywhere um, and smell anything from any point in history, where would you go and what would you smell? Oh, this is such a good question. Oh, damn. You know, I feel like I was thinking about this recently. I'm reading Hamnet. Um, gosh, what would I smell? Oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to come up with something. Well, I guess first place, I would actually like to go and smell Casanova's Palazzo. Oh, I <laughs> thought like you were going to gonna say crotch the then. <laughs> 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 I love that. I feel like that could be recreated. <laughs> but, but yeah, I'd like to go and I would like to visit his palazzo and have a sniff around. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think fear smells like? Oh gosh. Sweet, salty, and probably almost a little bit Moorish. Interesting. Do, I know that sounds weird, but like Fear and, and excitement, sorry, this is my boring psychologist career, is, is physiologically almost the same reaction. And it's just how we perceive it that changes our emotional response to it. So I think that if it was your own fear, not so much, but if it was someone else's, it could be confusing. <laughs> <laughs> what smell transports you to a strong olfactive memory and where does it take you? Mothballs. And I love the smell so much because it meant that my granny was visiting from Brazil. And when I was younger, I mean, I didn't really grow up with any of my grandparents near me. So those times were just the most exciting. And it was, you know, you as a kid, you've been waiting for weeks. Oh, my God, grandma's coming, grandma's coming. And then suddenly I'd be in the guest room, whoosh, she's in, full of drama. And then that moment when she opens the suitcase and I think she's staying. And I smell those mothballs. And when she's gone and she leaves them in the drawer uh, or left them in the drawer, that, so yeah, mothballs for me. Mm. Yeah, that's lovely. Uh, what fragrance are you wearing right now? Oh my gosh. I am so disappointed to say none because I thought maybe we were going to sniff together. But um, I do keep wearing, I mean, it's taken me two and a half years but I have started wearing other people's fragrances now because, you know, I just, I don't want to get bored of them. Um, but of course I, I, I wear our own as well. But um, what would I be putting on today? Today I'm going out with friends for dinner in Soho. So I'll probably be wearing Devious. Nice. Um, <laughs> Cincy is my uh, personal favourite. I love oh. that milkiness. The milkiness is just oh. really, I'm a bit of a sucker for milky scents and, that oh, one's so that one and then libertine's my second favorite so oh i'm so um, glad so you like the you like um i hope you don't mind me saying breast milk is what's in that is it's trying to and i think there's something in all of us you can't help but 
I mean, reality is it's, it's breast milk is actually sort of a sweet condensed milk, mm. but um, it's very soothing. Yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah. milkiness in a sense. <laughs> and I think soothing's, you know, soothing, soothing's needed in the current context. I, yeah. I do wear a lot of soothing scents at the moment. Um, I love that. What what else are you wearing at the moment? Um, so I I wear a lot of Angela Champagne scents because they mm. they really have a sense of drama and kind of they're quite gothic and because I'm based Ooh. in York so we've got a lot of that yeah. big architecture and history and they, yeah. they work really well um I love so that. yeah yeah and it's um they're a really interesting brand just have a look um, I'll check them out definitely and I love that you're matching your sense to your environment and therefore your mood yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway onwards onwards so what does summer smell of Mm, summer smells like and I keep meaning to google what that plant is but just the beginning the break of summer when the when the weather starts to warm the air around the plants and you can actually smell the scented air without having to lean into anything and it's this amazing long sort of green stalks of those diaphanous little white flowers on the top that um, grow sort of in, in parks and, and hedgerows and canals. And I absolutely love that almost sort of claggy, honeyish greenness that comes from them. I love that smell. Mm. Um, yeah, for me, it's it's that. Yeah. What's what's it for you? Oh, sorry, I'm just the wrong thing. Quick fire question. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's all right. Um, what's summer smell for me? Nobody ever asks me the questions you see, so <laughs> um, I think it's that sort of sun cream smell because I mm. I burn quite easily, so <laughs> I start slathering it on quite early, um, I, and I love that kind of creamy coconutiness. Um, Agreed. Yeah, don't get tired of that. It's nice. Love that. What's your favourite food smell? Oh my gosh, I'm so hungry right now. I feel like I should come up with a response more quickly. My favourite food smell tends to actually be fried garlic and onion mm. because it's just, you know, something flavoursome and satisfying and unami is about to hit your plate. Like I've got to say, I do really love that smell in Wagamama's. Mm. Um, when, you know, when you're, I don't know if you've got one in your local airport, there's one, uh, in Heathrow and they make breakfast omelettes Japanese breakfast omelettes and they're full of spring onions and garlic oh yeah that's yum yeah <laughs> yum <laughs> what smell reminds you of school oh well some of that is in my perfume infatuated but for me school is actually that kind of slightly uh damp smell of an under of a basement because in the main house of my school um where the where the school changing rooms were and where you had to go from from gym class up to music class was in the in the the sort of the servants area of an old 250 year old house 300 year old house and I think I hated gyms so much and I hated (laughs) exercise classes that I was always a little bit like angry or frustrated and so I always remember that walk um and to go and enjoy music so um for me it's that 
smell. Yeah. yeah. And also that weird smell of, of canteens, you know, everyone opening their plastic lunchbox and that smell of plastic mixed. So the plastic lunchbox, the cling film, and then the kind of like damp, dusty bread mm. mixed with feet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, we should say infatuated, the notes are rubber, oud, dark wood, leather, pear, custard, lavender and wet grass, you know, which mm. is really, that's a real kind of mm. mishmash, isn't it, of different, um, you know, yeah. oud with custard. Yeah. <laughs> really, but somehow it works. Oh, God. No, I agree. It's totally weird, but that's a good example of the bizarre fragrances you get when you write the story first, mm. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And if scientists were able to invent a smellophone... Who would you bring first? Oh, please. Oh, that's such a good question. You're full of them. Um, <laughs> who would I bring first? Oh, maybe I would bring someone in a distant land. I would like to bring, I've never been to, I've never been on safari. I'd like to call someone who is in a, in a big dusty plane. And I just like to smell what a safari smells like. That's a weird answer. (laughs) (laughs) No, I like it. I like it. But yeah, yeah. And if um, people want to know more about contradictions in ilk, where should we send them? Well, for now, please um, have a look at our website, which is ilkperfume.com. But you can also go to Chavoy and they've got our collection there. Or uh, this is a first exclusive confirmation. Um, as of next week, I believe, you will also find us in Selfridges. Brilliant. In Manchester. On that. Thank you. Across Manchester, Birmingham and London. So, Wonderful. Um, yeah, find us online or find us in store. Yeah, that's excellent. Uh, Bella, thank you so much for joining us today. I've really enjoyed chatting to you. And I think we could probably have continued chatting for another hour or so. Thank you. The Sniff Perfume podcast is written and produced by me, Nicola Thomas, with music by Phil Collingwood. You can find all our reviews online at the-sniff.com. We're also on Instagram at the Sniff website or Twitter with the same handle. If you'd like to support our work, please find me on Buy Me A Coffee. The web address is buymeacoffee.com forward slash the sniff. Our guest today was Annabella Fasano-Leslie from Contradictions in Ilk. We weren't paid in cash or in kind to feature them or their work, although the brand did send us some samples. Thanks so much for listening and join us again soon for more from the Sniff Perfume Podcast. Mm-hmm.